Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It... I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm Pride Edition Louis Vertel. Flip-flops down Santa Monica Boulevard. Well, get that faggot shit out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say all my life I wanted to be able to do flip-flops. I did gymnastics till I was in fourth grade. I did not come close. My cartwheels are still excellent. A+. I don't have the spine for a flip-flop. When are we going to see you do a cartwheel on Jimmy Kimmel? Well, let me tell you something. Dylan Adler, who is uh, a gay writer, comic, who wrote on James Corden, he started doing sketches on that show, and he does, like, flips and stuff. I am basically just irrelevant. I can't do a single flip like that. Well, let me tell you something. Corden got canceled. That's true. So. Due to my magic. They took Dylan Adler out back and shot him. (laughs) (laughs) And he did three flip-flops before he hit the ground. (laughs) That was actually just Gordon. He said he was begging CBS, I'll shoot my writers if you keep the show (laughs) on the air. Sacrifice their souls. (laughs) Drives a hard bargain. Uh, Well, speaking of CBS, love my segues. I'm going to say, for a minute, I thought you were going to bring up Touched by an Angel. (laughs) Hopefully the latter season's with Valerie Bertinelli. We can talk about Della Reese. (laughs) <laughs> One of those people who you're like, is she still around? She's not still around. <laughs> Did she have seven albums in nineteen in the 1980s? P- potentially, yes. Potentially. She's exactly one of those people, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, Della Reese's pop career. Just like people forget that Shirley Ralph has albums and they have hits. Right. Well, hits is now liberally defined based on the way you just said it. But yes, they're good songs. Well... They would chart on the gay Twitter charts. Oh, <laughs> okay. The way we call Zara Larson songs hits. Got it. The way "Padam Padam" by Kylie Minogue is now like a hit, but it's on the like Barry's Red Room top one hundred, not the actual one hundred. Meanwhile, girl, your brethren, yes, your your Madonna fans, oh, okay, are up in arms about "Padam Padam." What happened? Just online, they're all fighting, being like. Uh, because people are, you know, receiving this song, uh, and it's so rare that people receive a Kylie song, right? Uh, because most Americans don't know she exists, right? Uh, all of them are claiming that Madonna did this with MDNA. Excuse me, <laughs> and I'm like, the gall to bring up that album in the first place. <laughs> the idea that she did anything with that album. I can think of three songs on that album I like. Half of uh, there's literally a song called Gang Bang on that album. <laughs> and I like about a fourth of it. Which, uh, I was in Fire Island this weekend, and the Assassins, um, this amazing um, group of drag queens from New York, 
who also do Playhouse on Friday nights. Uh, they did Cherries on Sunday. And one of them performed to Gang Bang. Which is a years-long song. So I hope <laughs> yeah. they had a lot of tricks prepared. <laughs> uh, but there's been about a back and forth about who invented what sound. And people being like, oh, Madonna did this, you know, and then Kylie copied this. And pe- then the Kylie stands being, okay, you don't want to go there because fever happened before Confessions on a Dance Floor. And she did her country era before Madonna did her country era. It's a lot of old bitches fighting with each other. Yeah, wow. It's sounding very 47 <laughs> from here. <laughs> and, I'm, I, and I'm 47 at heart. I'll be joining you in your ranks soon. But. <laughs> Uh, well, but, anyway. uh, but also, let's just say Padam Padam is definitely better than Vulgar by Sam Smith and Madonna. Yeah. But you know what? I do like that song on the Idol soundtrack that she made oh, that, with not The Weeknd. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard candy coated. Right, right, right. Which yeah. is fine. An era that has aged well, and I truly did not think it would once upon a time in like 2008, yeah. 2009. But we're going to talk about Pride and the Idol a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about SAG, who might be joining us on our strike. It sounds like they definitely will be. Yes, they got all these damn people to vote for strike authorization, like uh, 97% of the voters uh, voted in favor of it. And I was one of them, which means that I found my code in order to vote, which is way above my pay. (laughs) I found mine, too. (laughs) (laughs) Had to dig through... um, files and cards in my apartment to be like oh here's my sad card no i was like shelby Wu going through the file cabinets at the police department looking for my goddamn thing because i do not use that thing no (laughs) please i pay Uh, my dues and move it move it right along and maybe that's why sag should be striking because you know i use my wga health insurance right correct not sags um but anyway the strike authorization means that if negotiations break down um with sag um by the end of june when the contract runs out then they will be striking and that means the picket lines are going to get hotter yes finally (laughs) oh my god your lips to god's ears me walking with like somebody who is a script coordinator on some you know cbs miniseries just doesn't have the verve of Mm. uh you know somebody who's born for the camera. Let's get some stars out on the line. So the picket lines will get hotter, but unfortunately, the signs will get dumber. That's true. And by the way, we're not exactly killing it at the moment. (laughs) When I look through those picket signs, every time I'm on the picket, you know, they have a bunch of not discarded ones, but ones you can pick through, you know, they get reused again and again. And every Mm. time I have, every time I'm looking through that, I have the same thought, which is, we need to kick some people out of the guild. Woof. Were they going for a pun with this one? I can't walk with that. It's like, pins down? Were they ever up? (laughs) Oh, my God. Pens ran out of Uh, ink? I don't know. I'm trying to be sympathetic here. (laughs) But anyway, the rules of this are basically, in the event of a strike, smaller and independent productions using non-union talent could continue, but most work would shut down because a strike wouldn't so a strike wouldn't affect like filming for commercials, broadcast news, or unscripted content such as talk shows, according to SAG AFTRA. Um, but everything else would be shutting down. Sorry, I was hearing this in the voice of Fran Drescher as you read it, so I was really taken <laughs> to a, a sonic place. 
Mr. Sheffield. (laughs) (laughs) Every once in a while, you get a voicemail from Fran Drescher where she addresses you by name at first and then goes, and it's like the boilerplate recording that everybody gets. And that Mm. is so shocking to hear on your voicemail. Just like, hi, Louis. Yeah. Like, how many of those does she have to do? I guess like a trillion. There's a lot of Louis's. Yeah. You know, but for the special names, you know, like the, well, it is Hollywood. There's a lot of Iras. Right, right, right. No, but uh, (laughs) her her reading through, right, everybody is is individualized, I assume, so. Hi, Viola. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Malin. (laughs) Just. Ackerman. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) Malin Ackerman. I wonder if she is in SAG because she's, you know, overseas most of the time. Yeah. I hope the actors go on strike with the writers. Um, and then we right. all just, you know, just go on a long vacation. No, also, but that's what I mean. Like, some of these people, you know, you can expect to show up to the picket and, like, someone like, this is just a name I'm throwing out. I don't know if she's actually done this. Elizabeth Banks will buy donuts for the line or something. It's like, well, now mm-hmm. you get to show up and be with us and, you know, eat the nibble of the donut before you go and do the picket. Honestly, I don't know why I'm shocked because he's always seemed like a very cool person. But um, they were supposed to do uh, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre were supposed to be doing this sort of like um, anniversary show um, in L.A. at the Hollywood Ball. And Snoop canceled it in solidarity with the WGA and rescheduled it till October. Oh, wow. I mean, I I, sh- I should trust a former game show host. Um, it's you're, that's it, true. You're, that's you're true. Act, you're acting as if he did not host the Joker's Wild, and he did. <laughs> there, there's only one truly evil game show host. I'm thinking Steve Harvey. <laughs> I meant the racist one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chuck Woolery. Chuck Woolery. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Haven't yeah, heard from him evil. in a while. Hope he's doing well. And I'm, 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 and by that I mean stewing that RuPaul is now hosting lingo and he's not. (laughs) Uh, All right. This week we have got the fantastic Trace Lissette joining us. Another one of those people. It's like, I can't believe Trace Lissette has not been here before. How exciting. Yeah. Uh, And then also the idol dropped on HBO. Expect a heated debate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, technically it dropped on Max. I don't even know if HBO exists anymore as a channel. The way they just kind of uh, uh, incepted you and were like, download this app quickly to see the succession finale. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, everything was warped into that app. And now I don't know why I even have HBO Max anymore. Also, I opened Max and the idol was not presented to me at first. Like I, I had to click on the HBO, you know, sort of tab. Oh, likewise. I had to find it. Yeah, right, right. Don't you want people to watch this shit? I think they're ashamed. <laughs> the Metacritic's at a 29. Uh, well, you know, we're also ashamed because it's Pride Month. So we're <laughs> going to talk about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. It's Pride Month, and the Crooked Store has a whole collection of merch to help you celebrate and fight back against the total freaks obsessed with what we wear. 
The collection has everything from tees to bags you can stock up. I'm not going to tell you how to celebrate Pride, but I will say that if you don't ruin at least one article of clothing this month, you could be doing more. So grab an extra tee. Plus, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to Crooked's Fuck Bands Fund, which supports organizations working to protect vulnerable people on the ground in states that are banning care and targeting trans youth. You get the thrill of supporting organizers combined with the thrill of buying something online. It's a win-win. Head to Crooked.com slash store to check out the whole Pride collection. I'm really hoping that they have some of John Lovett's sensible skirts. (laughs) It's Pride Month and the demons are out this year. It's still early, but we already have some opinions. Do we care about Pride this year? Well, I have to tell you, so I went into the fracas in West Hollywood the other day. Uh, Pride in West Hollywood is early this year. And then we have another version of Pride that's more the rest of L.A. Because there's this bitter rivalry between the two Prides in L.A. It's very strange. And next week, we get Mariah Carey and Megan Thee Stallion. This past week here in in the heart of West Hollywood, we had Carly Rae Jepsen, who did it once before in 2016. Uh, and Passion Pit was there. Tanache was there. I believe Tanache lives at WeHo Pride and just pops out of the floor <laughs> waiting for it to begin again. <laughs> the hands are always on deck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, let me just say, Carly Rae Jepsen, probably, I think the perfect Pride performer, because for one thing, that entire crowd knew all of the songs, maybe a few of the, from the new album they didn't know, but mm-hmm. truly, you cannot watch her and not have an emoji-sized giant smile on your face watching her. It's just pure, um, you know, kitten at the keyboard magic. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I I just, it also sounds exactly like she does on the record and sings well. I would compare her to Kylie Minogue in that way. You don't think of her as like a vocal powerhouse, but the signature thing she does with her voice conveys well in in a large crowd. I was sad to miss Passion Pig. They haven't performed in years. And, yeah, it's been four yeah. years, they said. Yeah, he said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd forgotten that Michael Angelokas uh, came out, like, a few years ago, too. Right. Um, it's, he came out on Brett Easton Ellis' podcast, by the way. That, tough. Tough. <laughs> Breaking news, as always. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis, star reporter. <laughs> I can't believe he still has that podcast. I remember when he started that years ago. Also, uh, American Psycho movie sucks. Anyway, moving on. It was well. We don't have to do that today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have other, lots of other. Stuff we don't. We don't, ha- we don't have to go there. Okay. You can stick with the canyons. Okay. <laughs> oh right. Exactly. Oh my god. Remember we gave that to Lindsay Lohan. Okay. Um. Actually, it was so weird for the first time seeing pride happening while i wasn't there oh yeah the first time in like 12 years i haven't been to we hope pride la pride i haven't decided yet whether i'll be at new york pride uh same weekend as san francisco pride i'll probably do one or the other but um well we know you're basically a san francisco resident at this point i am surprised more angelinos don't treat sf the way i do which is it's such an easy trip and then if you just go for a weekend you get to spend the whole sunday there because the trip back is like 13 minutes because most people in la hate san francisco like we should lewis it's such a delightful weekend trip yeah for some reason you love that awful city oh my god (laughs) i I didn't realize there was such wrath anyway um uh no but i will say this about pride um and this is my like purest take on the enjoyment of it 
after living in LA so long, I cannot go a millisecond without running to somebody I know at Pride. I mean, it truly is a like a giant reunion all the time. So in a way, like as much as I always have some cynicism when it comes to, you know, the corporate aspects of Pride, after you live in a city for a long time, I feel like Pride kind of accumulates. It gets better and better in a way. That's fair. I mean, the, the one thing about Pride that is always the benefit is community. Yes. You know, and you get that when you go out on the weekend, uh, if you live in like a bigger gay city. Uh, but I have to imagine that, yes, Pride, particularly in a city, in a, even in a smaller city, you know, it, it's it, it's a family reunion. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's Timmy Chalamet and Zendaya at the cookout. OK, I, you, you know? just showed me this video. I guess I just wasn't on Twitter this morning. I just wasn't prepared. First of all, it's the video of him dancing at this cookout is from behind. <laughs> so it feels like somebody is staging a fake like like TikTok to in, like making fun of what Timmy would do at a at a at a barbecue. Um, lo and behold, no, that is not a character from Recess. That was in fact Timothy Chalamet dancing it up in that jersey. There's some other angles, but also I, I you could really tell that he was sort of holding back and you know, um showing some deference yeah. i think because we've all seen timmy tim right performing uh with a pink wig doing Nicki minaj uh <laughs> when he was in high school oh right no you know what it was giving that john mulaney snl sketch where he uh in, in a not trying too hard way dances at the black wedding <laughs> i think it's him and i think ego ego Nwodum is his uh wife and or girlfriend in that video Speaking of side note, I was telling a friend yesterday that like I'm, I'm going to a wedding this summer, um, back in LA, uh, my friend Kelly Carter's wedding, um, and he said, "Oh my God, a straight wedding! I'm so sorry." And I said, "Sir, it's a black wedding." <laughs> oh my God, that is a very important distinction. I would put black wedding over gay wedding for the amount of fun that I'm about to have. That, you know? I think that's true. I think that's true. Because mm-hmm. I think the kinds of like gay men who get married, they 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 are like kind of domestic and they like things. They're annoying. Yeah, they're they're it, it's not, you know, full of life, shall we say. <laughs> and there's gonna be a lot of straight people there anyway. A lot of straight straight people there. You know, just sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll be appeasing like the straight people there and they'll be appeasing um the gay family too, you know? Uh, so, so, so it's sort of this push and pull. Like, you might get Padam Padam, but you're still also going to get, like, um, 12 Bruno Mars songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's all of them. <laughs> Meanwhile, a black wedding, even if they're going to be white guests in attendance, there will be no appeasing the white people. No, 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 no. Also, just everybody's up and like, I I think something about white weddings that's particularly annoying, I've been to a few recently, is that nobody agrees, like, not everybody's on the floor, like half the people are just Mm. sitting down, whereas I feel like at a black wedding, you're likelier to get everyone just kind of in agreement about what to do at any given time. There'll at least be an electric slide moment. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. You know, like, something, there'll be a Dougie, uh, depending on the age, there might be a swag surf. (laughs) <laughs> but right yeah you know there's there's not going to be any um there's not going to be any living on a prayer no playing. no 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 yeah uh, so yeah just screaming while holding a beer i mean yeah but these are my people <laughs> um 
it's so weird celebrating Pride this year just because it's, you know, it's like we're back to the era of um it's it's I was about to say we're back to the era where our rights are under attack, but oh. what have they not been? Oh, right. No, but it just feels like it's extra this year. Like why like why do we get it's I'm upset that I have to give a fuck about Target and their shitty pride clothes. No, right, 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 right. Or just like the absolutely random assault on drag queens. Just complete, like out of nowhere after 25 years, after everybody has like seen fucking Tootsie or what, like any form of drag has existed in front of us all the time. Now we have to defend the legitimacy of like, honestly a completely benign art form. You know, like, yeah. like, how is drag different than like the B-52s? I mean, it's just like, it's it's very insane. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's no joke and it feels like a joke. Yeah. And except, you know, it's, it's part of the whole thing of, you know, the conservatives have been losing elections, uh, mostly like the presidential elections. Um, and they usually do well when they attack gay people, queer people. Right. Um, but the regular tactics haven't worked. So now they're attacking trans people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's like, well, how do we find other ways to attack trans people? Oh, drag queens, because that's the same thing. Except it's not. And they're so watching smart. Tu Wong Fu. Right. By the way, Tu Wong Fu holds up. Patrick no, Swayze, oh, perfect what? Film. what an actor. Perfect film. Um, Go ahead and watch my- that this Pride Month if you've not seen it. <laughs> I feel like we don't talk about Tu Wong Fu enough. One one of my family's classics. Um, what's what's like a what's a gay film that is sort of like a classic that you feel like your family like watched when you were younger? That in your mind, it's not not even like they were like, oh, you know, like we're supporting gay rights, mm-hmm. um, or you know, like maybe we think our son's gay and we want to support him. It's just your your parents or like other people in your family like genuinely just loved this movie because for me. To Wong Fu was always on. And I feel like my family just loved this movie. Mm, I'm trying to think of anything that explicitly gay, like my family all watched together. I mean, like my answer would be, and this is not explicitly gay other than one character is gay, Clue. Like mm. we watch that movie all the time. And you do get Mr. Green being a sputtering homosexual in that movie. And I think <laughs> I voiced this theory before on the show. I believe that part is written to be gayer. I think what mm. I think he took a kind of um, plain spoken, like softer, more nervous vibe with Mr. Green. But if you read the lines, it's supposed to sound like Johnny from Airplane, who's like, uh, this airplane's a big Tylenol. You know, like, I think it's supposed to be like that <laughs> because the characters in that movie are supposed to be roll their eyes when he announces he's gay. And mm. that only works if it's blatant. That's fair. Okay. You know? I need to rewatch Clue. I haven't watched it in a minute, but I love well, it, obviously. Uh, uh, well, it, it is this mysterious movie of, is it good? Like, there are plenty <laughs> of parts where, like, bits that don't pay off, but you want to be in the world of the movie. You want to be in that house. Like, the actors are all, like, trying their damnedest, and some of the lines really work. You know, the, the angst of Miss Scarlet, the strangeness of Mrs. White, the baddiness of, of Mrs. Peacock, and obviously Tim Curry is fabulous. But you're like, does it all add up? Does this like weird conceptual movie with three different endings really pay off? Um, the, but the three endings is really too much. Yeah, but it's also like the board game, right? Like it's just yeah. completely random what you end up with. So it's like, why not have three endings? Yeah. Were you a Birdcage family? No, actually. I had mm. to watch the Birdcage for the first time as an adult. Mm-hmm. I remember it being on at one point, and maybe my grandmother liked it, but 
I really didn't discover discover Birdcage, I think, till college. Yeah, I, I I remembered the scene of Robin Williams doing the Madonna Vogue thing just in the abstract. But when I finally watched it, I think I talked about this on the show before, maybe during quarantine when I finally ended up watching the movie. I love the characters and don't love the story. To me, the story feels like just a half hour sitcom episode. And meanwhile, <laughs> you, you have all these like top of the line actors, including the idols, Hank Azaria. Mm, the idols, Hank Azaria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's giving the same level of vigor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Maybe one of the biggest gags of Pride this year um, is the Bud Light fiasco. Sure. Because have we cared about Bud Light? Granted, we've done ads for Bud Light before, so I cared then. The To defend the honor of Bud Light <laughs> to this degree, I mean, like, if I'm at a bar where there's, like, free popcorn and then I need to drink it with yeah. something, sure, of course I would like a Bud Light or something. But to... I don't know. People are waging like the revolutionary war over this because it's associated with Dylan Mulvaney. I mean, it's just a real mind fuck to real another completely benign, nice, smiley person. And people can't handle drinking the beer anyway. It's so bizarre. I do want to say, though, that I barely heard of Dylan before the Bud Light fiasco. And then it was all of a sudden like Dylan popped up out of nowhere. Right. And now they're everywhere. Precisely, precisely. I wonder if the way we feel about like conservatives throwing out Bud Light and shit um, is how the British felt during the Boston Tea Party. I think about this all the time. Were they just like, girl, what are you doing? It's tea. Right. Well, (laughs) you know what it reminds me of? I just watched that Sinead O'Connor documentary finally. And it's like Mm -hmm. when she did the Pope thing on SNL, people were truly steamrolling her albums in the street. First of all, where did you get that many Sinead O'Connor albums? How many Tower Records did you have to pillage in order to make this even look like telegenic for the camera? It's always people buying the things they want to destroy, too. And I'm like, I don't think you know how this works. (laughs) Right. Backfire. Wow. Strange. Like Demolition Night with all those disco records. Where did you get those? Right. That was my favorite part of the Bee Gees documentary when they get into Demolition Night and they're realizing... Half the records that people brought weren't disco. They were just black artists. Yeah. Like, enough of that. Burn that down. Sick. Uh, come on, Lou Rawls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I am re-obsessed with the main Lou Rawls song. You'll never find... What's that song called? You'll never find another love like mine. Oh, yeah. my God. With his yeah. amazing singing voice. Yes. That's that's very... There's a there's disco, and then there's a very specific pre-disco era where it's like you can hear the the rumblings beginning of that kind of dance music, but it's still in this lounge period, and that's that typifies that era for me. I'm never surprised, you know, when Lewis is digging around in the archives. Right, but, that's where I live, yes. But what sparked Lou Rawls? Yeah. Connect oh, what the did, dots. Well, I will say, I, I, I listen to, of course, Sirius XM, The mm. Groove, often, and he's routinely on that. Oh, okay, okay. Sirius The Groove. Does it yeah. groove? Yes. Well, it goes straight through to, I would say the most recent song you would hear on that st- station would be Return of the Mac. But okay. You, it goes all the way back to like early set, like Lou Rawls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a hint of James Brown here and there, but it really lives in like a disco, New Jack Swing, that kind of stuff. Maybe I'll have a Rawlissance. Please. It really seems like the exact kind of music that like I would love to write to as well. So It's very smooth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great yeah. vocalist. Pour some bourbon. 
<laughs> yes. It's very like Barry White's around that time too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I honestly, if we're getting off topic as usual, but I feel like I want to know more about Barry White beyond just like a pop culture joke. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, well, it's like we talk about him kind of the way we talk about Sade, which is... um Oh, you know, that's sexy. But it's this really one-dimensional yeah. take on an artist. Yeah. Even though he gave us Love Unlimited Orchestra. Is there a Barry White documentary? You would fucking think. Is there, is there been like a biopic? I think we need that. Yeah, I would love to get into that. I mostly just remember Barry White from The Simpsons. Right. I mean, it's like yeah. a, a kind of thought of as a vocal joke, basically. You know, even if he is a great singer and everybody knows that. Yeah. All right. Uh... I think that's enough pride. I will be at four of them, so I'm clearly not sick of them yet. You got to catch them all, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like Betty Who, jumping from pride to pride. (laughs) I made a joke this weekend about how I was like, God, think of all the things that Kylie Minogue, Betty Who, Rina Sawayama, Jesse Ware have seen from the stage at any given gay pride, and they still keep coming back. God bless them. And Betty, who uh, reposted that, which to me says she has seen too much. <laughs> She's from Down Under. Is she? Wait, Betty, who is Australian? Yes. <laughs> I, now that you mentioned it, I knew she had an accent. I didn't know she was. Da- I didn't know she was a Tony Collette. I didn't know she was a Sarah Snookery. Yeah, I think like like when you really look at her, you can see, you know, you can see the Australian. Well, also, you just put your finger on something, which is that all Australians kind of look the same. And it's because we all shuttled them off to that continent, and then the inbreeding began. I'm sorry. That's just, that's how that continent works. Why does Jackie Weaver look like Kylie Minogue? You tell me. Oh, but wow. What an island of pop singing, acting tour de force inmates. Yes. And uh, (laughs) friend to Ozone. All right, when we are back, we are joined by the luminous Trace Lissette. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc prince album we never got someone check the vault please (laughs) listen now to black stories black truths from npr wherever you get your podcasts the legend of cayman jack is just around the corner mixed with blue agave nectar 
real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. I cannot think of a better way to ring in the month than with this incredible actress. You know our guest today from Transparent, Hustlers, and now the heartbreakingly beautiful film Monica, where she plays the titular character in a powerhouse performance. Please welcome to keep it, Trace Lissette. Oh, thank you for that intro. That was so sweet. Of course. You know I love you. And I am so excited for this film for this moment i remember hearing about it at can um hearing about that standing ovation okay venice. And, yeah sorry yeah. venice all right hearing about it in <laughs> okay. venice the, the standing other ovation. Can. Venice. The, the, other can. the other can <laughs> downtown europe yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and you know being you know the first um translate film to be there too so now the film is in theaters tell us about this journey from film festival to theater yeah i mean it started actually years and years before that i got the script in december 2016 so it took a while to complete the audition process it took at least a year or two maybe two years before they decided that they wanted me and then uh, after that, it was just the fight to get funding, which Andrea has, um, he's the writer, director, Andrea Pilato. He said that it has been his most challenging film to get funded, even though it's his third film, which it's usually the opposite. It usually gets easier the more films you have under your belt. But he said that no one ever said it in black and white, but he feels that the underlying transphobia of it all, or just the fact that people won't get behind our stories was was an extra added fight to getting the funding. So we had, I don't know, six years of that. We had uh, Patty Clarkson come on as my mom, uh, probably in year, like, year three or four as we waited. And then we had Anna Paquin at one point, and then she couldn't do it. So we got Emily Browning. Um, and then we got into Venice, which was really cool. I mean, it's the oldest film festival in the world. It's been around for 90, whatever years. Um, we, we went and did that, got the standing ovation, got the, you know, good reviews. And, um, then we didn't get distribution. So it was like another, it was just like the goalposts kept moving. That's how it felt. Um, uh, which sadly was like not foreign to me as a trans creator i just feel like it's 
it, it was very fami- familiar. It was like, oh, we have to fight again. And so we got the word out. Um, IFC made an offer and then we did get a limited release. So, um, so yeah, that was basically the journey in a nutshell. And a lot of like, I mean, it, I don't think we would have even got there if the community hadn't rallied in the way that it did, if I'm being honest. So I want to talk about the acting in this movie. If it, it feels like everyone is so restrained, it's a movie that's not afraid to leave like a lot unsaid in a way that I think is familiar to a lot of family dynamics. Mm. Um what kind of like instruction were you given going into this movie? Did did the performance you gave kind of surprise you ultimately based on what you thought you'd be giving going in? Yeah, the script changed a lot. I mean, there was scene, there was whole scenes that had been taken out over the years. Um at some point they asked me for notes and I came on as an executive producer as well. But in the end, you know, if you're not the writer, the main writer, there was two, Orlando Torado, he was the other one. You can just give your opinions and, you know, see what sticks. But uh, the dialogue definitely lessened from mm. from the time, from the inception of the project. Um, so when I got to Cincinnati to shoot it, it was, it was, uh, it was much more linear and bare bones. Um, but even after the final edit of the movie, I noticed that some of the B storylines have been taken out. Like for example, Monica had a, a little love, a little romance moment with Leticia's son who had just gotten out of prison at the barbecue, the family, you know, the, the, the little barbecue tea, um, which was really endearing to me, but it just, you know, I guess it, it didn't fit and, um, that got taken out. So there was, there was things I had to, I kind of had to just like readjust again after I watched the uh, first cut of the film. And then I did fight for certain things to get put back in, like her sex work scene with the webcam, because I was like, how are they going to know what she does for a living? Like she's been surviving for 20 years. Like this is what the dolls do. Um, And they were like, and they were like, no, no, no. no. Okay. We'll show it to some people. We hear you. We hear you. And then they put it back in. So it's collaborative in that way. Um, But what I also realized is that because it was so zoomed in, literally zoomed in with the aspect ratio 1.2 to one, like the performance was amplified in a way that I couldn't run from it at all. And there was no phoning it in. There was no, you know, um, there was no AB seeing it. Like it was all internal and had to be really, really real. So in some ways, I feel like it was a really wonderful challenge as an actor. Mm. Well, I have to wonder, too, just about, you know, you mentioned the aspect ratio uh, and it being so zoomed in on your performance, your face. Um, And I feel like you're in the unique position, you know, where you come from ballroom, you know, Mm -hmm. so and you've walked face before, you know, so. For 20 what is years. That like? Yes. What is that like? <laughs> like you were literally walking in a category where you're serving face. <laughs> and now you're an actress. You know, I feel like you get you've had more of like 
the face close-up, you know, even um, practice than most people getting in front of a camera. That's so funny because they're like, <laughs> they couldn't be further apart if you think about it. I mean, when I'm acting, I'm not, I mean, the last thing I'm thinking about is like what my hair is doing or what my face mm-hmm. is doing. Um, because if I was thinking about that, I don't think it would look very good. I mean, it wouldn't look very real or authentic. So um, I think though, having been a face queen from the ballroom scene, I already got that validation, right? Mm. So I was able to put that down. I didn't need to bring that with me to to my acting. And I learned that a long time ago in acting class. Like, you're going to be what you're going to be. Like, uh, I'm never going to be the 20-something hot starlet. I'm never going to be Zendaya. I'm never going to be her, no matter how pretty I am, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I leave that at the door and I focus on the work, the truth and the heart, maybe, maybe I can touch people's lives. Maybe this story can be lauded in other ways. It might not be the most heavily watched film of the year, but maybe it'll do well critically. Maybe it'll reach some people and change some hearts and some minds and affect change, you know, affect affect people's um, kind of like innocently ignorant thoughts about trans people, which I feel like there's a lot of that flying around. Like there's definitely willful ignorance in this country, but I feel like a lot of it is very just because they don't know us. So, um, so yeah, that's, um, but thank you. Thank you for that, for that compliment. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you think that, you know, you, the face card was, was approved. Never but, decline, uh, <laughs> never decline. Okay. <laughs> But I really was, I wasn't even wearing makeup for like 90% of the, of the movie. So I just, I did my best to just not even worry about that. Like, I, please, you know, like I had to, I had to be in the heart of it all. But yeah. You you talked about how you stuck up for the, the video sex work part of your character storyline in the movie. Is it fun or also frustrating to have to kind of, voice what the reality of this character would be to you know non-trans colleagues is it like is that a fun part of the job is that the frustrating part of the job i would not say it's a fun part of the job it's it's just it's part of collaboration and when you are the lone trans soldier in the room sometimes that's just what you have to do and there was one other trans woman on the production her name was uh, Drew Gregory, and she was able to kind of, I was I was able to bounce things off of her, and at times she was able to kind of back me up. The good news is that, like, we were working with really wonderful people, wonderful cis people. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, <laughs> sure, it, it's, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, maybe there would be like five or six trans people on set and that, you know, we wouldn't have even had to have that conversation. But um, I guess on the bright side, it's like they welcomed the collaboration. Doesn't mean it wasn't, doesn't mean it wasn't uh, a fight sometimes, but I knew Monica deserved it. I knew the dolls deserved it um, to, to really see ourselves and our journey. And um I knew I wasn't dealing with unreasonable people and I knew that they wanted the story to be the best it could be as well. And so in the end, they ended up like thanking me and thanking Drew because um, it made for a better product. 
It's so beautiful hearing you talk about the film, you know, talk about what it'll be and, you know, for other um, trans women to see this as well. And, you know, just for our community in general. Uh, and I wonder when you're like not focused on everything that you got to get out with this film and promoting it and stuff like what shit does like Trace like to watch? Like, what do you enjoy and sort of what would you love to see, you know, in a perfect world where... um you don't always have to make a film like Monica, you know, like you get to do another film where you're just existing and having fun. Like what kind of genre do you want that to be? Oh, I love that question. Um, I fantasize, well, I actually wrote a series back in 2016 with my good, good friend, Devere Rogers. And we saw it. Devere. Yeah. You know, Devere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's going to be in that new Issa Rae movie. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we sold it to FX. I think I can talk about this. I don't know. If I'm not, please don't get me sued. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you guys probably know the legalities of it better yeah. than I do. Well, we sold it to FX. It was in development for like, I don't know, a year and a half. And then it didn't get greenlit. And so um, it was a show just about chosen family and friends. And it was very urban. It was very like, I guess, semi-autobiographical about my 20s experience um, that I pulled from like New York when I was um, dancing in the strip clubs, kind of living this stealth, semi-stealth life where I wasn't, you know, I was compartmentalizing and, and just um, living parts of my life where I didn't talk about being trans, like at my job or whatever. Um, but the tone of it was like the genre, back to your question, the genre was very similar to like Insecure, Atlanta, um, even Girls a little bit. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's just very slice of life with friends. And I don't know, that really witty current comedy that is mixed with drama. I mean, that would be like a series like that would be a dream. Um I also have like Marvel dreams because I want to do action someday while I can still, you know, pull a back handspring or whatever. Like, you know, while I'm still while I'm still limber, while a bitch is still limber, I wanna do, I wanna get my rogue on. But um, you know, those gates are hard to get into. So I'll take what I can get, but uh, I do dream about like all different genres. I mean, I was basically naked and crying the whole time in Monica. So I'm really open to other things. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's part of it. I mean, it's all part of it. Like... <laughs> a, a couple of years ago, you were part of that documentary Disclosure, which I feel like should be heralded as much as like the celluloid closet is for like queer people in cinema history. That documentary is fucking Excellent. I was wondering what your experience working on it was because I I mean, going into it, I I wouldn't if I were you, I don't know that I would have been able to predict it would be such a fucking good movie. It's so good. It's really good. I mean, not to be Debbie Downer, but I was disappointed that the you know, it didn't get a nomination for mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. It just didn't get the critical recognition I feel like it deserves because it's really solid and it's such it's such an index for people to use. Like if you're going to make something, anything with trans people in it, you, you absolutely have to watch that documentary. 
I think everyone should watch it. Just, you know, I think they should show it in school. I think they do actually now in some schools, but um, making it was cool. I just showed up one day at, um, what was the name of that studio? Stack it. I forget. It's in LA. Um, I showed up and uh, yeah, I chatted for like probably two hours. And so there's so much more. I mean, they could probably make a part two and three if they wanted to, because I think I ended up in like 10 minutes of it, but you know, the stories that everyone had were incredible. And yeah, I mean, it was beautifully shot. Um, Sam Fetter is a friend of mine. I was actually involved in the first version of it, which they used to then go and get funding. So they have more footage of me from like, I don't know, 10 years ago as well. Yeah, no, I remember watching it too. And just being like, not just like for, not just, you know, for people who like don't know any queer people needing to watch it. Like just for queer, it was queer men, Lewis and I watching it, you know, like it was just like learning mm-hmm. more things about right. everyone else in our community. I felt like it was really, really good. So yeah, um, very thorough. Yeah. Yes. Very no. thorough. Yeah. Yeah. Sam and Laverne, they did an amazing job. Um, I want to switch gears a bit too and talk about um your experience in Hustlers, you know, which yes. is such a such <laughs> a wild moment that I feel like that happened and it was such a big lightning bolt for a moment for like that. I feel like the J-Lo of it all. Yeah. But now it almost feels like you know, I feel like Hustlers should be in the conversation a bit more. I feel like everyone who was in it too was fantastic. You were fantastic in it. And I just felt like that's another thing where I feel like there's this collection of women in this great film. And I was like, well, then now put them in everything. Yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I, um... (laughs) These are questions for the studio head. Um... (laughs) Um, Listen, uh, it was a good film. It did well at the box office. Uh, I mean, Kiki's working her ass off. I'm sure, you know, J-Lo and Lily, they're fine. Um, I'm waiting for my next gig, which doesn't feel great having a critically acclaimed movie out. But we're also striking. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Yeah, I I adore Lorene Scafaria. Uh, the director writer and she's a friend of mine now and um she actually took me to dinner like a couple weeks ago to celebrate monica like me and my friends which i thought was just so she's so generous and kind yeah she she still looks out for me she still wants to work together again so maybe we'll do something in the future um she's working on her bg's documentary or not bg uh, bg's feature right now so um oh a feature on the bg's yeah Oh, I need to see that. I love. Oh, Beaches, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. in the works. Um, she's been working hard on it. So, uh, but yeah, she's amazing. Like she's, she's an example of like, not just an ally, but someone who has become a friend, like a real friend. Um, and I don't know, Hustlers was a dream, but uh, I, I just, I can't help but wonder like if I was this, and I was in a movie like Hustlers, like, wouldn't I be, wouldn't I have went on to do like Euphoria after that or something? I don't know. I just feel like I, 
mm-hmm. probably would have blown blown up. And so, you know, once again, I, I'm left with questions about like what it means to be trans in this business because I just feel like it's always a fight. And I'm sure you feel like you're always waiting on people like Lorene Scafaria, like who are like way radder than average, you know? Right, right. I Yeah, we have to find our champions and that even that feels exhausting because at some points in you in my career i'll speak for myself you're like oh but i've done the thing like i've done the blockbuster i've done the critically acclaimed tv series that won emmys and golden globes i've done the indie darling what else does a bitch have to do before she's got options you know and there's not near a script on my desk right now so i'm just like you know kind of it sucks to be a pioneer. It sucks. I mean, it's beautiful in a lot of ways. Like maybe the legacy will be great, but like I would be lying if I said I don't wake up every day, like a little bit exhausted by, by some of it. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Being ahead of the curve means you're ahead. I didn't expect to be this angry on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're angry all the time. So (laughs) yeah. Oh yeah. You didn't catch us on like a nice episode, please. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, we, you know, we don't, we don't want, you know, the Halle Berry playing Dorothy Dandridge and introducing Dorothy Dandridge (laughs) of the Trace Lissette life. Okay. We want Trace Lissette. Introducing herself. <laughs> okay, bury that. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you, the movie is beautiful. Um, I'm happy for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Patricia's amazing, and she's such a riot. I mean, she was uh, sick and dying in the movie, but off camera, I mean, you know, offset, she was kikiing with me at the bar, like just <laughs> total granddam, like old Hollywood, like hilarious um they call her party clarkson so <laughs> oh my really... God. now that means i will be calling her party clarkson All right, <laughs> from here on out <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah and it's just so nice to walk i live in the village now so it's like nice to walk past ifc and see your face outside. oh that's amazing i mean that will God, what a full circle moment. We did our new New York premiere there. And I mean, I have, I've, I've been pretty open with my history of being a, a sex worker in the village in the early 2000s. And um, the fact that we just happened to premiere there and that it's been playing there and, and, and the girls are, are kind of falling in to see it is like, ugh, melts my heart. So um, that was a really special moment for me. Well, thank you so much for being here, Trace. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, anytime. You're amazing. Yes. We'll have you back when you are dazzling the screen. When I'm rogue. Yes, when you're rogue, okay? Get the silver streak going now. Okay. (laughs) Who's your gambit? Who's playing gambit when you're rogue? Who's playing gambit? Who's playing gambit? Uh, Who do you want to make out with on screen? Kingsley Benadair. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. sure. Oh my God, he's so gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, he'll be. He's fine. in the Barbie. He's Woo! in the Barbie movie coming up. Yeah. 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 yeah he, is. he gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right. Well, that's it. All right. Thank y'all so much. Oh, thank you so much, Trace. That was such a pleasure. Thank you. 
the legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Well, we finally locked Crooked's intimacy coordinator in the bathroom, so we're ready to talk about the premiere of The Idol. After hearing all the horror stories during production and seeing some brutal reviews, we're diving into the first episode. Lewis, I've got calm on my face. How about you? (laughs) Guys, I have bad news. So this is like the lowest rated show in HBO history. And so I went in, you know, expecting to see, you know, a bunch of newish actors kind of being amateur. Uh, my favorite thing, pop stars attempting to act. We can go down the history of how dubious that road has been and how surprisingly successful some people have been on that track. I thought the episode was kind of good. What the fuck is wrong with you? I would love to know. <laughs> I thought they set up, so Lily Rose Depp plays this huge pop star and she's surrounded by this coterie of handlers and stuff who are all cynical and... um self-interested ultimately but saying things all the time like like philosophy philosophizing about how like yeah this is a good comeback for her and um you know constantly spinning a narrative about this person who's named jocelyn which is a baffling name for a pop star jocelyn just feels like a minor character on like the babysitter's club or something it's like mabel yeah Ma- mabel right <laughs> it's like mabel nanny cherry's daughter yes also uh tracy Ullman's daughter anyway um uh, so I expected it to be an amateurish production. I was set up for it to fail. Maybe it's just I was set up for it to fail. But I thought Lily Rose Depp was really good. I thought as as spe- specifically as somebody who is a successful pop star and you see why she's so cynical because she sees through the people around her and yet she has to have those people around her. So in a way, her life sucks. Yeah. Here's my thing. First of all, I think Sam Levinson um, should be tried in the Hague. Oh right, yeah. No, I mean I don't. I don't need him. I need Interpol to deal with that. I'm. I'm not <laughs> saying I don't. The dialogue, just from from jumping off the bat, it's it's sort of that like pseudo like, oh, this is really cool dialogue that I feel like I would always get in grad school um, from people who loved a lot of Tarantino, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, this is going to be slick. This is fun. You know, stuff like mental illness is sexy, you know, or like that is the worst part of the episode. This woman handler who is talking about uh, Jocelyn as she's doing this racy photo shoot and is justifying the the way they're framing her for her upcoming era. And she says, 
yeah, if, if you're living in Ohio, you don't know somebody like her. She's not dating your best friend. She's not doing this. So that's why mental illness is sexy. And it's really on the nose. Demented. Yeah. <laughs> if mental illness were sexy, I'd find Sam Levinson a lot hotter. <laughs> and listen, I also want to say that the thing about this series for me is that it feels very regressive in the way that we think about pop music, right? I just sort of can't imagine a current pop star who really is sort of like, I hate my life and my handlers and everyone surrounding me. It feel, feels very of the Britney era and maybe a bit of like what we were getting in the like the Selena Gomez documentary. But even that was like, she didn't hate her handlers. She was dealing with her mental illness and hated a lot of the shit that she had to do when she just sort of wanted to sing. But even this, like, she seems to, like, think her songs are whack and corny and not even like her music. And I'm like, who is that? Like, who, 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 as a pop star in this era is just sort of, like, doing pop music and shit like that, um, but not loving it and not sort of, like, even having, like, fun with it? I concur. I to think of somebody that disempowered, like that doesn't remind me of like a Dua Lipa or that doesn't remind mm -hmm. me of any of the other big people hanging around, except Ariana Grande has denounced some of her old music. So I mm. kind of do wonder if it's maybe a, a, par a parallel with her career. Yeah, I mean, the we listen, The Weeknd does know Ariana very well. Um, the Weeknd was also involved with Selena Gomez. So maybe there are some, you know, connections with that, but... I don't know. It just, it just seemed very, it seemed very like trying to be too much for the sake of being too much. You know, I don't know what story we're telling here. I would also say like, maybe that's a little bit too cliched too. Like mm -hmm. an old idea of what we think about a pop star, like, you know, oh, they're toiling and working very hard and, you know, and to what end? And they, they're not artistically satisfied. And they're basically a piece of meat being hustled through photo shoots and choreography. I mean, listen, I like the acting. I really like a lot of the side uh, people in it. What do you think of Abel's acting? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty amused that he was talking so much about when doves cry in Prince because his performance to me was giving Prince in roughly Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> I was, I'm loving all of the side characters. I'm loving Rachel Sennett. Uh I'm loving... Um, Dan Levy getting to do something different. Hank Azaria is wilding out in this. I, Lily I Rose maybe, Depp's amazing. I'm actually surprised how realistic Dan Levy is. He really does feel like that, like, overly smart, like, kind of bitchy person who's there to spin the narrative about this person's career and lightly take issue and umbrage with, the, with everybody else trying to run the operations. Right. Um, I found the... I found the aside of uh, <laughs> I found the aside of Hari Duff's introduction very funny because it felt very realistic, at least to things I've experienced in life. You know, like the the person, the Dan Levy character introducing uh, her and being like um, one of the best pop culture writers. You know, just like yeah. saying something stupid like that. Like that's what was said. Like when I was introduced to Travis Scott and Kylie Jenner, I'm like, they don't care about this. Yeah, I'm like, right, right. I write profiles. <laughs> yeah, and also, only the best. Yeah, bring me gay to least, said Kylie Jenner. <laughs> Hari Neff styled very much like one of my favorite pop stars of all time, Kathy Dennis, by the way. Please look up her album, Move to This. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, is it music you can actually move to, though, Lewis? I would say yes. Okay. Especially I'll, I'll if you wear back. a little black cat suit like Kathy Dennis. <laughs> Mostly, I'm just thinking of this in terms of euphoria. And I get like euphoria at least makes sense because it's very kids. It's very skins. You know, it's like, we've seen that in Gossip Girl. We've seen that in high school, you know, like, and at least it's telling Zendaya's story at first. And then it's branching out and telling all these other stories. Um, my thing about the idol is it seems completely uninterested in its main character. Meaning what? It doesn't seem interested in like her journey or anything. It seems like a story is being told about this woman being corrupted, you know, by this man um, she's meeting. But like, she seems to have no agency in the story either. Right. Yeah. Everything sort of just happens to her. This is a situation mm-hmm. similar to the movie Blonde. <laughs> it's very blonde, the TV show. Yeah. So I actually am surprised that that uh, parallel works out. I think that is kind of true. Um, I mean, yeah. it's not as like violent and there aren't as many unbelievably vile scenes it ends with one the pilot ends with one scene that is uh concerning on purpose but not to the level that blonde was you mean that michael myers scene at the end (laughs) yes breathing through the sweater (sighs) and like what am i watching here and then it just ends It, it was giving edgy for edgy's sake that said um again i do think they set up well why someone like her would turn to somebody like him because she values that he comes from a completely different place than the people who she's surrounded with every day. And so any sort of real personality she gets from him, she really values because she doesn't get an ounce of that from, you know, Dan Levy being on his phone and being concerned about her her latest uh, PR imbroglio. Of course, yeah. Um, I don't know. I still just think it's very weird, you know, to have sort of like a pop series about a pop idol from like a straight man you know yeah it's it's just sort of like what are we doing here yeah does he get it ultimately yeah right does this is this coming from a pop fan it doesn't feel like it so um ultimately for me it's a thumbs down a tentative (laughs) thumbs up for me but i also kind of just wish it were a movie like if it if it Mm. ended with them you know forming this really toxic relationship and then that was that that would be a complete story to me. I don't know how this is going to sustain however many episodes it needs to. It's Bonnie and Clyde, baby. They're just going to start killing people. Mm. Faye Dunaway uh, showing up in this show would be a gag. Uh, that I would love. Uh, oh, I also want to shout out Divide Joy Randolph. Oh, yes. Fabulous. Yes. Uh, she is so um, funny. Uh, and I miss her from like High Fidelity. So I'm glad that she's working. Yes. No, she's really good in this episode, too. I'm glad everyone in this is working and collecting a check. That's all I have to say. Again, Lily Rose Depp, better than I would have expected. Yeah. Um, Love her mom, Vanessa Paradis. I don't remember who her father is. Yeah. um, Unknown actor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody makes it in this business. (laughs) All right. When we're back, keep it. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It, Lewis. My Keep It is a simple one. My Keep It is to people who wrote, quote-unquote, obituaries for a beloved icon, Tina Turner, that said this. (laughs) Whether it was on Facebook, whether it was on Twitter, whether it was on Snapchat, wherever, Tina Turner, simply the best. Guys, we all know she sang that song. Yes, of course. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not saying she wasn't the best. Can you spend more than 1.5 fucking seconds on a post about somebody who was so fucking amazing? There's like, you can't even call any one part of her career the definitive part. They're all so amazing. We, I mean, like, I've talked before on the show how I'm obsessed with the song Typical Male. Um, the Private Dancer album is fabulous. If you don't know, I Can't Stand the Rain. You probably are familiar with that song as a uh, a sample on uh, Super Duper Fly by Missy Elliott. Um, there's any era. The music with Ike, obviously, even though you don't want to bring up Ike. Plenty to say. But it's truly like if Michael Jackson died, you said, Michael Jackson, beat it. That just like, what? Anything else? Please. <laughs> it's that syndrome of we're in this world of we celebrate icons so hard on Twitter and we celebrate it for like likes and retweets. But sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like no one actually knows anything. It's that Dolly Parton thing of, I know you know Jolene and I know you know 9 to 5 and I will always love you. Time to pick a fourth song now and I don't think you can do it. Um, so it's like, <laughs> now someone call what I'm doing gatekeeping. I'm saying what it is, is no literally any fucking thing. Literally, if you're going to jump into the conversation, be able to have the conversation. I think it's also symptomatic of this whole needing to get out there that you are a part of the conversation, that you are also grieving to, that you also, quote unquote, get it. Like just tweeting out Tina Turner, simply the best. It's like now people know that you like you felt sad about it. And it's like, did you feel sad about it? You can't have felt that sad about it if you were one of the first people to tweet out Tina Turner, simply the best. Yeah, it just popped into your brain. You did it, and then you went about your day. It's not considered. Yes, um, yeah. I want. I, I like the people who took a beat, listened to their favorite songs again. Um, I, I, I'm partial to the album "Break Every Rule." Um, I mean, we could we could do an entire episode about Tina Turner. I mean, it's just it, it it's crazy how much she brought. And also, it's like in the the documentary we got about her recently, she basically foreshadowed her own death. Like she made her final trip to the States before going back to Switzerland um, and, and kind of alluded to a mysterious illness. If we're talking about the greatest women in rock and roll history, I think it would definitely be Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Janis Joplin, Madonna, in any order. I mean, you pick where where they belong. Yeah, Joni Mitchell's up there too. Maybe Bonnie Raitt. Mm. Now, we didn't get to talk that much about Tina, obviously, because we're off last week. But, you know, um, you should listen to um, our episode where we talk about um, the documentary. Um, and oh, I that's right. That it was, yes, uh, we talked about it with Aida in 2021 when that came out. Um, but underrated song that I've been listening to lately, Goldeneye. Oh, please. Uh, and I don't think many people have Bond been like thing. talking about Goldeneye, to be honest. But I was thinking of Bond songs recently because I also saw the drag queen busted um, in cherry grove while um in fire island this weekend and she did um carly simon's nobody does it better and so i got on this whole um bond song kick and goldeneye written by my man bono that is crazy that he wrote that song yeah it doesn't sound like him at all nothing about that song reminds me of you too also that i think is the last bond theme to go full throttle bond theme i mean like you had ones afterwards that were like um, like the world is not enough that sort of rises to epic and obviously mm-hmm. we're in this lethargy era with skyfall mm-hmm. uh writings on the wall uh, uh yeah. no time to die but that was the last one that felt like it belonged to like a shirley bassey tom jones version of a bond theme yeah i mean i love cheryl crow but tomorrow never dies is really not 
memorable. That's getting a little soupy. You know what I'm saying? It's getting yeah. out of the lightning and into the soup. And let us not forget Die Another Day, which is... Barely a which song. Is, which is, <laughs> God love her. I also, I, I kind of like the song. It's a Gregarian it, it, chant. Yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> wait, I, I, I'm sure I brought this up before. That was in the Kazaa era when that came out. And I remember downloading a version of that song that didn't have the vocals yet in it. And the vocals are basically an instrument in that song. It like just sounds blank without it. I truly thought Madonna had lost her mind. Like that, so, I was like, this song doesn't sound complete. It doesn't like somebody produced it. Anyway. And little did you know. <laughs> 20 years later, we're having the same conversation, if you know what I mean. Uh, we didn't mention this in the Idol conversation, but um, I like her new song on the Idol soundtrack. I will say the music in the Idol is great. So, Yes. Oh, yeah. They We got some prints at the end there, didn't we? Yeah. So... And oh, and, the, and like a prayer was played in the middle of the episode too. Oh, and I'm tying it all together because Madonna did a song with the weekend for the show. Okay, yeah. so they probably did a little deal there. Okay. Yeah. And let me tell you something. If there's one thing the weekend knows, it's music. <laughs> let's let's go back to that. All right. Yeah, get get back to the Super Bowl. <laughs> you need to get back in the studio. <laughs> you're your own jocelyn yes ira what's your keep it this week my keep it this week goes to viewers of the succession finale not all of them okay but in the wake of the show ending it seems like a lot of people didn't know what the fuck they were watching meaning what so, you know, the finale happened last week and we were off. So let me just sort of recap this for everyone. Um, the s- siblings band together to try and take control of their father's company with a vote. Um, and Kendall um, sort of tells his brother, Roman, and sister Shiv that he is the only one who can sort of run the company, you know? Uh, he is the only one who can run the company because Shiv has a lot going on with basically being a woman. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Roman embarrassed himself at their father's funeral. So he's like, it has to be me. Uh, and we always knew he was always going to say it has to be him. But, you know, he comes up with this reasoning. Uh, and then at the last minute, Shiv changes her vote and votes against him uh, and hands the company over to um, Lucas Matson, Alexander Skarsgård's character, who then makes Tom, her husband, the CEO. She does this even after finding out that Lucas was going to make Tom the CEO anyway, even though he had lied to her and promised that she was going to make her the CEO. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of people online disappointed in her. They're disappointed in her, or they're saying like, she got ultimate control, you know, like she has Tom's baby. She's going to be able to manipulate him from the sides. Everyone sounds stupid. <laughs> Basically, she's a hater. She hated her yeah. brother. Yes, she didn't want right. him to win. And she took the vote away from him. And that's basically all that happened. And Jesse Armstrong, uh, the creator of the series, I love that like he's finally like leaving some things up to ambiguity. But he was basically just like, she didn't want her brother to win. That's right, all there right. is. And I think this show is sort of emblematic of what was happening with Lost and like then The Sopranos and stuff like that, right? You know, like people watch something and it's nice to have fan theories, but 
sometimes they get out of control and people start thinking that like everything is ambiguous or can be interpreted in some sort of weird, interesting way. And that's like, that's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. I think the show is always going to end with a Pyrrhic victory of some kind too. So I think the, the kind of crestfallen way people feel about how it all broke down I think secretly, if people think about it, they would realize that was inevitable. It was going to end with some sort of disappointment for somebody since their quest is so um, horrible anyway, you know? It was King Lear. Come on. Mm -hmm. You know, and it started with Kendall and it was always going to end with Kendall. Um, Who was the main character of the series? So um, let's get that into your heads too. And then there's just also, I guess, this disappointment from people who are just sort of like, sad when these people turn out to be horrible people and it's like what have you been watching you can watch horrible people and relate to them especially when it's a series that's gone on for four years but like they're not gonna all of a sudden you know become great admirable people no this is why the movie young adult is so good she's she's terrible the entire time and then there's a (laughs) moment when she might become good nope got even worse yeah <laughs> I fucking love that movie so much. I just watched it again when I was in uh, DC a couple weekends ago. I don't, I don't know what possessed me, but man, it just, it, it's so real. It so reminds you of people, which not every TV show or movie does. I mean, speaking of just like Pride Month and gay shit, I mean, I want more gay Mavises, okay? as in from young adult. You know, like I want like more gay characters in film and TV who feel like real people like that. Because you know what? We're horrible, you know. <laughs> a lot Desperate of us for a high school Yes, <laughs> a lot of us make decisions that are selfish. Uh, a lot of us make decisions that hurt other people. Um, and I think that movie just feels so human and real to me in a way a lot of other movies don't. I mean, it's Diablo Cody's best film, um, as far as I'm concerned, and Jason Reitman's best film that he's ever directed. So, no, the way she casually lies about how amazing her career is to like people in her hometown, it's like pretty painfully um apt i mean i think it's pretty funny <laughs> and like obsessively thinking about her ex um uh, from high school by like continuing to play that song on loop in the tape jack just opening up the movie like that i'm like it's it's beautiful to me right yes yeah oh uh, i'm glad to think about that movie again it's it, it really is fabulous one of a kind yeah um well that's our show this week so thanks to trace Lissette for joining us thanks to gay pride for joining us Thanks to the brick. Thanks to the brick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the brick that hit Stonewall. Her name is Laverne. No, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I want to wrap this up with, um, there's a tweet from 2019, which I fucking love. Um, this girl who tweeted it, um, at Pretty Boy Dad, was kind of dragged for this tweet back in 2019, but it resurfaced online recently with people saying, no, she was right. Which is? Stonewall, low-key, the worst gay bar ever. Can someone throw a brick at it again? (laughs) It's a smallish bar. (laughs) Still there. Uh, Go ahead and walk on in. Yeah. So if you're in New York, pick up a brick Mm. and throw it at Stonewall. (laughs) Join in. Yeah. (laughs) Roland Emmerich style. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. 
This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.